Day Podcast. Episode one. Episode one. Take one. Yeah. Everything one. This is it. This is it. All right. What's going on? Not much. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah. So first time on the mic? First time on the mic. Hello. Yeah. I don't know if I know your background, Neil, other than you're an engineer or was. <laughs> We're an engineer. I'm a fake. I'm a fake. I never, <laughs> never did anything. Ring. Yeah, I just wear the ring for like some credibility when I go to sign docs. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I can I can start first. Yeah, I guess. go for it. Okay. So yeah, I was born and raised in Ontario. Uh, moved here. Did my university here to become an engineer. I uh, was doing mechanical engineering. Got a few years into it. Wasn't loving it. So I kind of always had some small businesses going. I did some things here and there. Was wondering kind of what's the next take to make some money. I started with flipping cars and really i yeah. didn't know that yeah so i was i guess to be honest, i started flipping car parts then i went to flipping cars i actually started buying cars overseas from japan bringing them in cleaning them up reselling them this is amazing already yeah i'm enjoying this already <laughs> but Crazy. that's a huge pain in the butt first of all you're wiring money to these guys over in japan you don't know if you're ever going to see it again um and then you wait three to six months to see the thing arrive here and un- like unknown to me is i thought everybody wanted a sports car yeah, I drive a RAV4. Uh, so I'm like, what do you got in a RAV4 straight from Japan? Yeah. <laughs> so you sports know cars inter- don't fly off the shelves. Man, some of the smartest business people I know started off flipping cars. Isn't that weird? It, yeah. Well, it's it's a low entry point. Yeah. And it's, it's something that's a very almost like it's a labor-based thing. Like you can go get a car and literally if you just clean it and like spit polish the tires and the rims, you'll find somebody else online that'll buy it for a couple grand more. So, you know, I got this dune buggy. Yes. Right? Yes. I have bought a second dune buggy in a moment of weakness, and I don't know what to do with it. You bought a second one? I bought a second one. Yeah. Um, That's and where it's, we need the TV to flash up pictures of the dune buggy. Totally. Totally. Um, but I was thinking, like, just the fact that I had a guy who can haul it here from wherever it was. It was like an hour and a half away near the New Brunswick border. Yeah. Because I had a guy that could bring it here, I could probably just sell it to someone in Halifax, make like a few thousand dollars just off the strength of they didn't want to find a way to get it from New Brunswick somewhere. to here. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think I'm going to keep it. Yeah. It's a terrible purchase, but <laughs> I have it now, and I have two, so in theory I can race them. But um, <laughs> it's pretty sick. So your whole front lawn's about to be covered in dune buggy. I'm actually parking them at the new office. I actually cleared that with the office the other day. Like, So we have underground assigned parking, because that's where they're going all winter. I'm going to no have two way. dune buggies stacked front, like side to side <laughs> in that single car parking spot. But so you're flipping Amazing. cars, yeah. run a bunch of businesses. We're just small stuff, right? Like doing the car parts. Um, I, was, I was mowing lawns. I was doing lawn aeration. No uh, way. Oh my God. This is amazing. Yeah. I love it. And so like the lawn aeration, like I, I used to go out and I tried the door to door sales thing and I was doing okay at it, but I didn't want to do the lawns. So I got one of my buddies from high school and I'd be like, look, I'll give yeah, you yeah. 10 bucks. So I go sell it to him for 50. I give him 10. He was walking behind me and he'd be aerating them as I went from door to door selling little things and doing it for them. So anyways, that was going okay. Got into the cars. The cars were making a few grand a piece. There's a few, like at one car we flipped, I think I made 6,000 bucks on. And what I was doing was I was buying them on Kijiji, cleaning them up. Then I was consigning them at a dealership because mm-hmm. I knew the dealer would get way more money because they could offer financing. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. And the dealer was happy to do it because they didn't have to pay for the car because I just gave them the car for free. No, no cost Crazy. to them. I like that. So I made my first little bit. And then I was like, all right, like what's the next progression on that? And I was like, flipping a house. I have no income though. Yeah. So I had a partner with a guy that had income. We went 50-50 on the down payment and we got into our first place. Uh, and we ended up doing that. We ended up renting it and not flipping it. We turned it from a single family to a duplex. Was that the one on Shibukto? That was yeah, on Shibukto, yeah. Okay. yeah. Exactly. And uh, I bought it through NAS. Yeah. <laughs> no way. How'd you <laughs> yeah. meet up with NAS? I knew Craig. That's what oh, it was. Okay. So gotcha. Craig Snow. I went to school with Craig Snow's son. Cra- I called Craig. He said, I don't do residential, but NAS is my guy. Gotcha. Passing over there. But, um, Thanks for the referral, Craig. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, long story short, then I got into it myself. I got my first. Basically, I got my first job on co-op. It's a four-month term, so three months in, now I have enough income verification to get a mortgage. Yeah. The day of my three months, get it set up, go and buy a house, and do the rent and flip it. Right. And I was just—it was a hundred thousand-dollar house, an old Sambro, an old Sambro Road. I got a place for sale on old Sambro right now. Yeah. yeah. That's and it's it's affordable out Good there. Good entry price. Yeah. Hundred grand, jeepers. <laughs> Hundred grand, and it wasn't that bad of a house, honestly. I was a bit of a flyer though, because I bought it like I, I didn't even go in the house, um, and I got in there, and it was stacked to the ceiling. It was a hoarder house. There was animal shit everywhere. Went through the whole pro- process, cleaned it out. I sunk like maybe twenty grand into it. I sold it for like two something. Sweet. 
And so I was like, boom, I just made more in this one flip than I will as an engineer in a year. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big kind of tipping point when you start to look at what some of these careers make. And it is great money. And for someone that does that, that's awesome. Yeah. But, you know, there are other paths. And if, if you're money motivated, which not everyone is, you yeah. can quickly realize, like, I was headed down the path of academia as a professional student. You yeah. know, did two degrees at St. Mary's, went over to England, did a master's degree over there. Shit. And was going to be doing my PhD down in New York. Like I had everything all set and figured out, but there yeah. was a break between my master's and my PhD. And I was like, now, do I actually really want to do this? Um, yeah. You know, I was dating my then girlfriend, now wife. Um, and, you know, a, a PhD, and I was just studying literature um, <laughs> at this point, really smart investment. But a PhD was going to be five years down there. If I was fortunate when I graduated, I might get a postdoc in some you know, forsaken place wherever in Canada, have yeah. to pine away there for a couple of years to eventually get a tenured path where I wanted to be, which is back here in Nova Scotia. And academia is very focused. Like I'd be American literature after 1970, which means there'd be like one position at every university. And if some person was already in that role, they'd be sitting there for 35 years. Yeah. Um, so I started to cool on that idea. And then I looked at what constituted a, a young prof. And if you remember any of your young profs, they're like, 40-something, burnt out, hate their life, <laughs> single, and likely living in a place that's very different from where they grew up with and, and maybe yeah. maybe not where they wanted to be. So yeah. um, the whole time I had this idea that I would also own rental properties. Like I wanted to be a prof who had rental properties around the university because that's yeah. where I had to live in, you know, those rooming houses, the student ghetto as they call it in yeah. Halifax. Um, I wanted to have those properties while being a, a professor. Yeah. And then when I decided not to go down that road, it's like, well, okay, well, I still want the properties. I still want to do that sort of thing. And I really enjoy all these stupid real estate shows that I watch on TV. Yeah. So I might as well go get my license. And I'm sure my parents were devastated, you know, throwing away years of education and studying yeah. abroad and a massive student loan incurred from going overseas yeah. um, to do something that you need with a GED equivalent and a three-week course. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I kind of... Once the interest is there, it's an itch that, I mean, anyone listening to this is going to have that same itch. That's why you're listening and, and you're trying to scratch it while trying to do the other things in, in the main part of your life, be yeah. it study, be it do your, your nine to five. And, you know, it's hard, but how do you make that, that switch, right? Like I know for me, I had a part-time job and then I was selling real estate, but still I struggle with that today. Like, okay, I'm out there selling, you know, a hundred homes a year. How do I pivot that, you know, attention to building the passive income yeah right and i mean at some point you had to stop selling those lawn mowing deals and <laughs> try to go full bore into to flipping and, and that's tricky like you said when you have no income yeah and I'm, I'm the same as you well i came from a background of an engineering background where i'm used to the bi-weekly paycheck yeah and so it was a comfort too to give up like i was like i know i have a decent salary paycheck goes in every two weeks and the same thing when i when i told my parents that hey look like thanks for helping me out with the engineering like this was great and all that but I'm going to go get my real estate license. They yeah. thought I was having a crisis. Oh, yeah. That was that was like, what are you doing? Do you understand what you're giving up to do this? But yeah. it, uh, I'm, I mean, I look back on it, it's the best thing I ever did. Oh, 100%. I mean, my life is vastly different. I mean, the, the first year in the business, and again, this wasn't me flipping homes, but the first year in the business, I took my little part-time job yeah. that I had, and I took my real estate sales, and I made more than a full-time prof in my first year. And this was 24 years old, not having a clue of what I was doing. Yeah. Um, you know, very, very fortunate. But I, I kind of realized early on that, all right, this is the path I'm, I'm going to go. Uh, and then my wife and I, we bought our first set of flats. And at the time, I mean, when you're on commissioned earnings, as people would know out there, if they're trying to get a mortgage, you need years of history. And my wife was a substitute teacher. Like, we were not that bankable, but the financing was such back then that you got really good credit for the rental income. Yeah. Whereas now they take the rental income, they take half of it, half. they apply it towards your debt service ratio. So you're essentially getting 40% of 50% of the rental income. Yeah. It used to be they would take the whole amount, and this is even before you got into it, yeah. and they would just apply it to the mortgage. So if your mortgage was 1000 bucks and the rent was seven fifty, they were like, can you get approved for a mortgage of $250? <laughs> and you're like, I think I can. <laughs> um, but we still didn't have the down payment. It had to come from RRSPs and all that. But we got that first property. Um, and then my goal was to kind of buy a property every year for 10 years and then reassess after 10 years. Like, okay, where am I at? Um, do I want to scale up from there? And I managed to get five in five years, just yeah. kind of 
duplex, duplex, single family, duplex, single family, just as good opportunities presented themselves, getting a lift. Yeah. Um, and then I realized at some point, it's like, man, I'm putting 20% into these single family homes and these duplexes. It's a lot of cash to tie up for a relatively small building. So I leveraged all of my five properties at that time to scale up to a 12 unit nice. um, and then kind of grew off of that. Nice. Nice. What street was the first one on? The first one was on Blink Bonnie Terrace. Oh, was it? No way. And I actually live, so I lived in this, like, <laughs> so I found out after the fact that someone was selling weed in one half of the unit. Like, it was side-by-side set of flats. Yeah. And one of them had been freshly renovated, uh, and the other half was occupied. I'm like, man, why is this unit so nice yeah, yeah. and cleaned out? I'm pretty sure there was an insurance claim for someone growing weed and then a sewer line backing up and all the stuff, which, of course, was not disclosed to us at the time of purchase. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I won't say who the agent was, but... Um, <laughs> Either way, it was fantastic. Um, but we lived on, you know, in these little units, a great, great little unit. But across the street from us is this beautiful house, uh, turn of the century. It was originally actually built by the third premier of Nova Scotia in 1840. But it's a, a really a state home um, and it had this crazy pool, which because of the layout and the fact that that house at one point owned all of the land around it, the pool is sort of in the front yard. Yeah. And so we'd have to sit there, uh, you know, my wife just starting her career me just, you know, scrapping away at commissions and watch like this family enjoy this beautiful pool across the street. And when the parents would go away, the kids would jump off this awesome wraparound veranda into the pool and be like, damn it, I'd love to live there someday. And we ended up buying the house maybe six years later, seven years later. So that's where we live now. Um, and that's us that's jumping sick. into the pool while my tenants watch from across the street. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, That's actually badass to sit there, see that, and you're like, I want that place, and then go through the whole process of actually getting it. Yeah, and that's the power of real estate. Like, you know, we're both very fortunate. Like, yeah. we both sell real estate, and, and yeah. you can make a great living selling real estate, and, and we're, we're very fortunate that, that we do. Yeah. However, it's owning the real estate that changes your life. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you don't own bricks and mortar, I mean – Obviously, we're biased. People do other things, but owning yeah. bricks and mortar changes your life. Everything that my family's been able to do since has not been because of me selling real estate. Yeah, it's been afforded I mean, through what your assets are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess indirectly there's been a, a connection there for sure. Yeah. But once you've got that snowball rolling, um, it, it's amazing what it can do. Like, that's why I'm such a big advocate of it. That's why I tell anyone. And that's why I'm happy to talk about it. I mean, one of the things, you know, there's some stuff that we want to cover here. And it's like what people do if they're starting out. It's just to surround yourself with people and pick the brains of people who have done it. Yeah. Um, because anyone who's done this and has had success at it, you know, they've made a lot of mistakes that you can avoid just by talking to them. And yeah. they tend to be really open and helpful with the information. I don't know if you found the same, but people just are happy to talk about it. Big time. Big time. This is a super excited community. I think everyone's in the same boat. They get into it, not even understanding the potential that it has. And then they get in a position, like you're saying, it, it changes their life. And they're so excited by it that they're very comfortable and open to share that with others. Right? It's almost like they become comfortable in what they've created themselves, and they're happy to see others do it. And honestly, it's almost like if everyone's doing it, it benefits everybody. Like I say this to a lot of guys, like, I, you know, I mean, it makes it sometimes more difficult to buy a property or whatever it may be. Yeah. But if all your buds go in and buy a bunch in the same neighborhood and everyone revitalizes them and, and makes an effort to make a good area, that benefits you as well because you're in there. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, there's there's always going to be a little bit of competition within it. Yeah, <laughs> One, that's human nature, and the industry tends to attract people who are competitive. Like, I'm competitive yeah. by nature. Yeah. Um, at the same time, people who are successful at something rarely feel the need to hoard, you know, the, the specialized knowledge that they have that, that made yeah. them be successful. The most successful people I know are some of the most generous people not just with, not with money but like with their time and with their information yeah um and when i started out like you know i was asking my friends parents and, and my friends older siblings about how they did what they did yeah. and they were all very kind and, and very helpful um and you know then i even talked to some guys who are more like our age and i would just track them down off linkedin or facebook and be like yeah. hey can i just like take you for coffee and they were all so great to deal with and um, everyone does things a little bit differently. Like you and I do things very differently. And yeah. I spoke with some guys years ago and they did things very differently. Um, so there's no one right way to do this. Yeah. You do have to find your competitive advantage in the way you approach things. Um, but the general, the, the high level of why to do it, roughly how to do it and what the big picture is, I mean, it, it's kind of the same for everyone and people are, are pretty good to help with that. 
Yeah, it's it's a fairly general principle that gets followed. It's funny what you said too about just going down and asking everybody questions and all that. When I first started, I only had three units or five units, and I went after Kevin Richardson, like yeah. CEO of like Kellum. Yeah, yeah. They have like they're huge. They're probably <laughs> traded worth like so many billions of dollars. Yeah. He sat down with me. Yeah. In my in his yeah, office. Totally. Out of nowhere, he's, he had no idea who I was. He was like, so what do you want? And I was like, yeah, I just got a couple of questions here I got to ask you. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. I mean, um, a couple of my friends, uh, uh, Mike McCormick, he, he had a property management company in, in Dartmouth. That's one of my friend's fathers. And yeah. Donnie Clough, who's now uh, at Crombie, was previously yeah. with Southwest, like another um, father of one of my friends. And they were just so helpful and, and yeah. so smart. And then from there, you know, spoke with some other guys closer to my age because at some point – it's easier to relate to someone who's at the same stage as, as where you're at, but it's always great to surround yourself with people who are doing these things. Yeah. Uh, and if if anyone ever kind of is blowing you off and, and making you feel either lesser than or that they're guarded because they view as competition, I mean, that kind of energy, it's it's not going to help you and it's not going to help them ultimately, right? Yeah, like, you just don't necessarily want to surround yourself with that anyways. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. the other thing too is there's so much uh, real estate available. It's not like it's like a finite market. Like there's... There, Yes and no. Well, like you think about, <laughs> the think whole about the system is kind of based on it being finite, but your point stands. I you know, know what, what I mean? mean? Yeah. It's so large, though. It's like, okay, like you look at even just a small market like Halifax, there's probably like 100, 200, it's probably $300 billion of real estate in a city like this. And no, it's like not one person's going to be able to capitalize on it all. So it's like, yes, again, you're competitive, but there's availability. Like that's, that's like when I teach people, I don't feel like they're, it's going to impact me directly. So I probably selfishly feel more comfortable to share what I know and what I've learned. Cause I'm like, you know what? I'm, this isn't going to come back to bite me in the butt. Also, if there is scarcity, it's the scarcity that, that breeds, you know, uh, invention and opportunity, right? Like. And growth. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like there has to be that or else there's never going to be any lift. Um, anyway, I mean, the, the, the time that I entered the market was also the time that I moved to Dartmouth from having grown up in Halifax, which was also just before, you know, a little, micro boom in that particular area happened. Yeah. So I was investing in an area unbeknownst to me, but kind of intuitively, I felt a certain energy about this space. Like, okay, yeah. this is going to be big here. Um, this is going to be an area that's, that's going to be hot over the next decade. And it surpassed even kind of my, my expectations. Um, but this is why people, and they, they tend to be younger. They go to these other areas, you know, at the time it was Dartmouth, Fairview, Spryfield. Yeah. You know, people thought you had two heads if you were going to go into those areas and invest, you know, but things were finite and limited yeah. on the peninsula. And yeah. these were these other opportunities. And to some degree, those have been saturated. Um, but now there's like an arms race down the South Shore and the Valley and Truro. <laughs> um, so as long as someone's willing to think outside the box, like, this is where I struggle. Like I like passion projects. I like things that are near and dear to my heart in these marquee areas. Yeah. But oftentimes the opportunities lie elsewhere. Yeah. Right. Like look at what ha- has happened or, and is going to happen in Enfield and Elmsdale. Whereas yeah. if someone kind of was first to that, you know, 10 years motivated by the fact that they were being squeezed out of other areas, they would look like a genius right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. A hundred percent. But I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of guys in this too that are, are passion driven honestly like i, I think there's, yeah. there's lots that are basically just looking at principle and money wise but there's also quite a few passion driven ones because you look at a lot of buildings some of the design aspects are not necessarily the best just purely for rental income or uh cost or f- cost effectiveness like it, there is some aspect of like pride involved i don't know if it's a male thing or what but when we build stuff and create things and put our name on it we like to make it our our own yeah i mean that that's actually my favorite thing about real estate investing is the creative element of it and not actually the financial component of it even when i yeah not i don't math good um (laughs) no i i like building these spaces i like improving my community it's kind of cliche to say that but um it's true i I like interior design if i could go back in time rather than doing arts and economics i would have done architecture and design probably yeah um but uh yeah I, i agree with that i think it's nice to have a balance i mean my projects that i'm working on right now are in dartmouth they're expensive areas, but they're also around where I live. So I want, I have a vested interest in these buildings, and these properties, improving the neighborhood that I live in and that my family and my friends live in. Yeah. But then I also joke that, man, I need to get some architect to just design me the cheapest four-story walk-up, you know, <laughs> above-ground parking and just go out of town and just slap those up. Um, and honestly, I'm being beaten to the punch by a lot of people. Enfield, yeah. Elmsdale. 
um, around Truro. There's some thoughts like what's going to happen in Stewiak. Yeah. Um, you know, even go down the eastern shore if you go out to some of these locations. Like that, that's a very Bridgewater. Um, yeah, that's a very strong model. Yep. Um, it's just not something that's near and dear, and you know, everyone. You right now. Yeah, and this is the challenge too, right? Like, the, there's an ego component. I think you have to be um, prideful and competitive to enter this industry, but with that comes blind spots or at least weaknesses, and just how you have to know your competitive advantages when you're doing this. You also kind of have to recognize your blind spots. I was speaking with a, a buddy of mine who's incredibly smart, um, and he's doing really big things right now. I'm not going to put him out there yeah. right now, but um, I love talking with people like him because they challenge what you're doing. Yeah. You know, um, like I'm very averse to partnerships. Yeah. You know, I'm averse to private money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, some of these things, but it's my own stubbornness and my own pride and my I own fear. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and, and then he'll drop a nugget on me. Like uh, if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far go together it's like man this guy's oh. out here quoting <laughs> yeah. stuff here that, that just rattles you but it's and it's and it's things that you've heard before and it's things that yeah. you know about yourself yeah um but you have to shake these things yeah um to do this and um to get better and some of that is going to be where is next like once i've got my projects here that are passion projects well what is the actual model that's going to be sustainable and where are we looking next so yeah um, to enjoy yeah. yourself moving forward um it's kind of an aside to go back to the originally where that all started was discussing who we were and where we're at. Yeah. I would say if, to summarize, if someone were to ask you today who you are, what would you say? Award-winning um, realtor. I'm top 5% on OnlyFans. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, my day-to-day is that I, I sell residential real estate. That's still how I make my living. And, um, but I guess where I'm at in kind of a, a larger real estate perspective is I'm trying to make the shift from what I've done traditionally, which is uh, redevelop, renovate, small scale. Um, Old buildings. Older buildings, kind of B product, um, you know, under the a certain method. side. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, to now switching over to development a little bit. So I'm sitting on, I think, one, two, three five development sites that I'm really excited about um, with the building sizes that would go there, maybe 40 to 60 doors per site, um, kind of in corridor areas or, or similar where you'd have a small-scale commercial on the bottom, uh, concrete construction for the most part. And, and I'm kind of looking to make that switch, um, which is a challenging one. And then thinking larger, it's like, okay, well, long-term, I want to switch my entire focus from residential resale to development and property management. Um, so I'm kind of in between those two things, but my main focus right now is getting my first new build concrete construction project, which I'm hoping to start later this year, 60 doors, and then kind of go from there into replicating that model on a few different other sites. And I mean, you don't have to answer, so are you comfortable with how many doors you have now? I have 50 doors, 50 doors, 50 doors a couple commercial sites, and then a bunch of land <laughs> that I'm sitting on. Actually, I think 55 doors. Yeah. Um, but it, it's the land is kind of, because as sort of describing before, I went from these small scale to slightly larger apartment buildings, and then it reached a point where I was struggling to find new inventory to purchase and, and to turn over. Yeah. Um, people were just starting to ask, which what at the time was expensive prices per door, cheap now in hindsight um so i went down this rabbit hole of land and that's a, a long commitment um and then i sort of stockpiled a few other sites um because that's it's weird when you get into this you know you buy a site and then someone finds out you bought that site so then they're selling you the site next door or across the street or, or you get these opportunities and that's kind of where i turned my attention for a little while um you know hoping to run simultaneously some small scale renovations to other projects at the same time but that's kind of where I'm putting a lot of eggs in, in that basket right now. Okay. For better or worse. Yeah. We'll Everything see. in the HRM market. Um, I, I do have a property in Truro as well uh, with uh, some partners down there. It's, it's currently a six-unit building. Um, but the plan is is we're going through the development of process right now with Truro for 55 doors there. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That'll actually yeah. be sweet. Yeah. Truro is one of those locations, man. It's, it's, it's blowing up. 
right? Yeah. And the application process, like it took me two and a half years to get my project approved on Portland Street here in Dartmouth. Two and a half years is a long time to carry land with no income on it. Um, and we'll accomplish the same thing in about five months intro. Yeah. Um, and they take a month off in August. So four months, <laughs> what took two and a half years here in town. Now, yeah. with, I'm a big believer in the center plan. I don't know where people are, are listening to this from, but, you know, they're redrawing everything in the city here to make development a little bit easier here in Halifax and greater Halifax. Um, so we'll see how that goes. My other sites now fall under that, so it should be quicker. But the first one, man, it took me two and a half years. So that was two and a half years that I was kind of sitting on the sidelines, you know, just running my existing stock. And it was kind of frustrating, but it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think, again, depending where you're listening from, Halifax can be a tough market to, to do development in. But like you said, they're hoping to address that with more staff and a more secure plan Yeah, um, to help do it. So, yeah. Okay. I mean, I'll give it quick on mine. I'm around the same spot. I have about 50 doors. I have another 40 under offer. Actually, I guess 20 of them are firmed up. So I'll probably have about 70 here in the next month or so. I'd like to break 100 this year. Sweet. Um, a few small development sites, much smaller than Chandler's, probably one, two that I own, or three. Three, and they're all about 30 units in the range, 20, 20 to 30 units. Um, and then one under offer as well, actually outside of the city. Uh, and similar thing about... 40 yeah. units, but it's like the price per door is probably a thousand bucks. Yeah. So. Yeah, and you can get opportunities where there's a structure existing on the land, like maybe it's a small scale um, multi unit or, or even a house or something like that. So it, it can be easier. Whereas you can get financing yeah. on it, the whole works. Yeah. And same thing. The town, I spoke with the town and they, they expect an eight week turnaround for me to have a permit to be able to put a shovel in the ground. Yeah, that's wild. Like yeah. just they, they want to see it, they're excited to see me there. Uh, and they were all for it. Like everything I've sent, yeah, 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 please, yeah, bring it, let's see it. Um, which is kind of a breath of fresh air. Even though I've only done a very small bit with the city here, it's just already been tough. Yeah, they're just inundated with stuff, and there's some archaic, and when the municipalities merged, right, yeah. pre-amalgamation, you had all these different zonings. So the zoning in Dartmouth is different from the zoning in Halifax and, and so on. So it is a complete rat's nest, uh, but that's what the center plan is cleaning up. So hopefully, hopefully that works. Um, so I just want to touch, I, I followed everything that you said there, but like getting into being, or getting your license, what was the driving factor for you getting your license? Um, oh, I, I kind of always had the idea that, well, if I'm going to buy a couple properties a year, I would save money on commission if I had my license. Very <laughs> dumb. This you know, every I'm, investor ever though. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to get my license. Like, well, you know, you have to pay $3,000 to have your license and you have to be sitting at a brokerage and desk fees and all that stuff. Um, but that was my logic. I also thought that I would have a brokerage. I thought that would be super smart. Like I'd have other agents work for me and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the overhead and the work. <laughs> Neil's laughing. Like the idea of owning a brokerage just <laughs> makes my head hurt. Um, so that was kind of my, my thought. And then um, it just became more of a focus. And then I kept my other job for a while in, in large part because I enjoyed it. Um, but also because that security of having a two-week paycheck and all that was, was great. Um, but just swapped over and, you know, I enjoy what I do and I think you enjoy what you do as well. But yeah. I think to a large degree, our passions are in actually developing and, and growing real, real estate, estate and itself. passive income. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I have a question for you. Why this? Why, well, why podcast? So, yeah, that's a good question, actually, honestly. Um, so, again, I, I only got my license three years ago. Um, I, I service a, a younger market that's just coming to school and everyone's kind of trying to figure themselves out and what they want to do and they want to make some money and stuff like that so everyone's kind of in the same boat um again i was fortunate enough that i got into this business when i did because the market took off and yep. not only did the like sales market take off the pricing took off and fortunately i had bought some real estate at that time so it's allowed me to do very well much better than i would have if i'd pretty much done anything else outside of maybe a tech company that hit it big um and so people kind of found that out and so the amount of people approaching me at this age that are asking about either becoming a real estate agent investing in real estate, um, just wanting to know all about it, and which was great. And I always loved like sharing that. But it got to a point where like literally every day, I'm over two coffees with people to discuss how it works and how to do this and how to do that. And uh, I, first of all, I'm running out of time. Like, I, I, people I don't even know either messaging me like, hey, bro, like, let's grab lunch, whatever, da-da-da-da. <laughs> Solid impression. 
that's what you, yeah, know, yeah. you know what I mean though yeah. and so that's that's what I'm getting and I'm like at first I was like oh this is kind of cool and like sometimes I paid sometimes I didn't and I was like shouldn't you be paying for this but anyways I, <laughs> I guess I'm the realtor so I gotta pay but uh, anyway so I would be teaching them and then I was like okay I need to do something here to to do this and so growing up I didn't watch TV I watched YouTube and listened to podcasts and so it was always kind of like a fancy in the back of the head of my head like wouldn't it be cool to do something like this um, and so then when that happened, so I was like, okay, now I actually have something of value that I think that I could share with people and I want to share with people, but I need to reach a larger audience in an easier way. How can I do that? And so this is, this has been toying in my head for almost three years. Um, and it just never happened because I was in the build, I was building this business first. So I had to build the real estate business first, get that rolling. And now that that's succeeded, I'm like, okay, you know what? Now I have some time available. I've been able to build a team here that's helping me with both my actual rental properties as well as being an agent. Okay, that allowed me to get the time then to do something like this, which is, I think, something I always wanted to try and, and get involved in. Um, and I still can't get over it still to this day, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is. I get a message probably every two days asking for some advice or how do I buy my first investment? How do I do this? How do I do that? And now I'm responding to them saying, hey, you know what? I have some content coming. Like when I get it, like take a peek at it and that might be able to answer your first baseline of questions. And we can still chat and I'll still help you out. But, like, you could probably get a lot of the information answered from this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and I think just in general, the timing is kind of right in some sense because I think there's a bit of a generational boom with, like, millennial, Gen X, Gen Zs, that whatever range that is, the, like, 20 to 35 range of everybody now is looking for a little something to do with their cash. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I feel like if there was a secret to it, the secret's out. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's amazing how much has changed even – in the last seven to eight years, like I was mentioning before we, we started recording that I had met some, you know, now long-term clients who are really sharp and who've grown nice little portfolios of their own. And I met them because I was writing articles for the Chronicle Herald, um, you know, which this was back when there was no social media. And that's not that long ago. But yeah. um, so I was putting out this content through print media you know, rest in peace, print media. Like, What's um, that? <laughs> no, I just, no, I just. <laughs> book reading. Um, and so one of the articles um, that I did was called So You Want to Be a Landlord. And it was the one that I got probably the most response to. Yeah. And it was predominantly young guys reaching out to me. And I, I say guys because it just happened to be predominantly um, uh, men that were reaching out to me for, for whatever reason. Um saying, you know, they liked that article and they wanted to meet with me. Yeah. And I met with them over coffee to discuss the contents of the article. Um, and then they became clients long term. And, and um, but that was before social media like that. That was where I was putting it out. But, yeah, people were reaching out and, you know, always happy to take those meetings. And they grew and they had a lot of success. And uh, multi-unit residential sales are a big part of my selling business as a result. Um, but, Personally, I always the reason I wanted to be a prof was because I really enjoy teaching. Yeah, I like, you know, because I, I, I like the pursuit of, of learning myself, and I, and I like having that engagement of that exchange and, and of ideas. Um, so, you know, I don't watch, listen to podcasts. Yeah. Um, I kind of followed one for a while who, that was real estate sales based, but that's it. Like, I don't even know how one could listen to this. Like. Yeah. Spotify? Is that how someone would listen to this one day? Yeah, there's, there's a few yeah. different opportunities there. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I'm not a I'm not a podcast guy, but um, I've often thought about um, because I, I'm interested in coaching programs. Like, oh man, someone could develop a program specific to this. Yep. But even the coaching world, I think, has realized there's a scaling limit and how you funnel um, customers, listeners through that, as yep. opposed to a podcast, which is just immediately there. It's it's r- content you know, that is in its own right packageable and, and, and can be turned into a product without some of these, you know, a, a few years ago, it would all be like, oh, buy this program yep. to learn this and, you know, pay for these videos. And that's not really how people are consuming this information. They want it ready-made and there are people providing it. Um, but I felt there was a little bit of a lack of expertise in the actual um you know, sure, yeah. Yeah, 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 like being put out. I mean, it's there's no requirement, there's no base level to be able to, you know, put on your business card income property specialist. Like that's yeah. not a thing. Yeah. And so some of the content that comes out there or some of the people that um, you know, represent that they have an expertise in a certain field, you know, I'd kind of question that and and 
it's, it's perfectly fine. But I kind of always like, well, people should really get the right information about this because, yeah, it's simple ideas and applied in a certain way. But it is good to sort of talk about that with people who've gone through the process. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Burr model is amazing to me, not in the model <laughs> itself, but in that like someone took what everyone had been doing for decades, generations, and turned it into it. an acronym <laughs> and is like loaded as a result, I assume. I don't know who came up with that, but it's mind-blowing. People are like, oh, I do the Burr method. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And they walk through, I'm like, yeah, that's literally what everyone does. Um, but good on them. Like, yeah, that, that's so great that that, but you know, it took the right, that the package is what's important, right? Yeah. Someone um, put it in a message that was very consumable for people who exactly. were looking for this. Yeah. And um it's it's easy to understand. It's easy to apply and replicate, um, and then you can gather the information around it. But um, I found that really interesting, and, and then I knew you were doing this, so um, kind of made sense. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I'll, I'll add that I agree to. Part of me, and not to sound like I'm some like humanitarian or some just so great, but so I philanthropic. I, I, so philanthropic. Uh, I do also like to teach. Like growing up, that was always something that I did going through school. Like I always tutored just because I actually enjoyed like. Okay, like I understand this, and I want to make sure that everybody else in my class also is getting this. Like, it doesn't make make me feel good to walk out of here with a hundred, and then somebody else is getting a twenty-five. Like, wow, that's not. No, I'm just. That was <laughs> no. an example. Not saying it ever happened. <laughs> um, but do you know what I mean? So that yeah. But then on on the flip side, selfishly, it's not just for that. I was like, if I can teach this, I'm gonna get better at what I'm doing. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Like I'm not. I'm not just here just to tell all. Oh, look, I'm just gonna do all this for everybody else. I'm not actually looking to buy any more real estate. I just want you all to buy a bunch of real estate. No, I want to buy more myself too. So it, it's kind of that both. It's learn some more. I want to hear what people have to say and kind of see where the, the market's at in general. Yeah, I think I, I that's what I get out of it too. Like even when I'm talking to other agents or, or investors, like I find myself get better in the moment. I get sharper. I think more critically and I take things from it. And then I, you know, I'm better for that next week because of it. And then you get re-energized by coming back to it. So, um, yeah. yeah, I'm digging it. Good. Um, so I guess then going on to I mean, our first topic outside of just us and why we're so great for doing this podcast. <laughs> topic one. Topic. Where are we? 45 minutes in. Yeah. Topic one. <laughs> an actual, but it's not, it's not even really an actual topic, but why should people be interested in real estate investing? And you touched on it a little bit before. You said, look, it completely changed my life. Having the assets has allowed me to do everything. I went from living in a unit to now owning the house across the street. I own half my block, like all those kind of things. What else is there? Like, what's kind of because the, there's also a lot of stress. I don't don't discredit the amount oh, of work, gosh. stress, yeah, work, time, man. effort, it's... the amount of money that's been moved around to make this happen. Yeah, people say passive income or like, <laughs> you know. And th- this was the thing that I, I spoke to in that article. So you want to be a landlord? This idea that you buy two units and you make money off them that that doesn't and exist, do right? Yeah, especially yeah, it just doesn't exist, right? Like it yeah. is a job. Yeah. And like any other job, the more you work it, the better you will be at the job, and, and the better results you will get from it. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it has a component to it because of the literal, the tangible, the bricks and mortar component to it and the fact that it is literally housing. It, it is an essential service, if you will, that it's not going anywhere. Um, yeah. And that can grow your wealth in a way, you know, passive, um, that you just can't replicate anywhere else. And then you have the little advantages of, you know, if it's your primary residence – and it's appreciated, that is tax-free income. That, that's another conversation for another yeah. day. But, um, I mean, if you look around at how people actually, you know, make wealth, there's a few different ways. One is that you've got one of those crazy top 0.1% jobs, you know, hedge fund manager, super specialized surgeon, whatever it is. You know, you're, yeah, you're kind of at a, at a crazy point. Uh, but you know what those people do? They incorporate their earnings somehow, and they buy real estate. <laughs> then you have people who start a business, and their business is successful. But what do they do when their business is successful? It's like, well, chances are it's because they own the bricks and mortar in which they run the business. They own the building. Uh, and then they incorporate, and then they buy real estate. And how many mechanics, you know, watchmakers, blacksmiths, whatever, became accidental millionaires overnight because the property, the dirt that they were sitting on for years and years became worth many millions of dollars. Um, and then you have real estate investors. And so if you look at the three kind of ways that people get rich, it all comes back to real estate. Um, you need to put that money in real estate. The way I kind of put it more on, on a micro level is I ask people, like, okay, if you know an opportunity came across your desk today and you needed to come up with, you know, thirty or forty thousand dollars in the next seven days. Could you do it? 
Yeah. And, you know, you're dealing with a younger demographic. The answer is almost always no. Yeah. Right? Like, unless you've got parent, family, money, the yep. answer is almost always no. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, what if there was an emergency that happened in your life and you needed $50,000 in 30 days? You know? Yeah. Could you do it? And most people, again, and it's, it's true of people my age, too. Tough, like, yeah. most people are like, no, I, I couldn't do that. Yeah. And it's like, well, if you're in the situation where you can't deal with an emergency and you can't capitalize a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity inside of 30 days, then, you know, you are not financially secure in your life, right? Yeah. Like if you look at those yeah, two no, if you cannot do those things, you are not financially secure in, in your life. Um, and it takes people a longer time to get there. It's, it, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But that's the way I look at it. And if you have real estate, you can always do that, right? Yeah. Like if you have real estate, you know, I don't know if people watch Arrested Development, but there's this great line, there's always money in the banana stand, yeah. <laughs> right? And this is what I think every time I refinance a property, like there's always money in the banana stand. Back to the banana stand. Yeah. Mind, that's <laughs> some people will get that. Some people won't. Arrested Development's a phenomenal show. Um, but I mean, case in point, um, you know, I felt I was kind of tapped out. I was doing a couple projects and then, man, like this site came up. It was kitty corner to another one of my sites that in itself was two doors down from another site. You know, it's like, well, gosh, you know, I've done all the hard work on these two sites. Now this thing is available. I've got to get that. Yeah. And what I did, I go to one of my properties. I had some equity and I had some savings and all of a sudden I could get that, which was a phenomenal opportunity. Yeah. And then what happens? The people who live next door are like, I heard you bought that place. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> like, so now this single family home, which, you know, at the time was not especially expensive, it was 280 grand, which, yeah. you know, isn't necessarily a large down payment. But when you've just purchased something else, it's like, man, not I've got head. to put 20% down. I've got to come up with that. You know, well, there's grand. another property, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that is the advantage of real estate. Yeah. Is that once you have it, you know, you secure your own well-being, you secure your future, and you can capitalize on opportunities, and you can cover yourself in the case of an emergency. You know, it's almost like you, you build that wealth. It's not as passively, but uh, like subliminally. Like, like you're not paying attention to the fact that you're building equity in it because the properties, whether it's appreciating fast or slow, it's still typically on average having a bit of an appreciation, and you're paying it down a little bit as time goes on. Totally. And so, for, and so the dollar balance isn't in your account, so you don't live like you have 100 grand. But you do, and it's available to tap into, and, and banks like it because it's an actual asset. Yeah, I mean, once you have, it's it's terrible to say, but once you have money in equity, it's easier to get money in equity. Yeah. So the sooner you can start that snowball going in the right direction, the better. That's what people are like, what should I buy first? Like, I don't know, the first best deal you can find, right? Yeah. Like, get it, and then, you know, I'm not an either-or guy. People are like, well, should I do this or should I do that? I'm like, not either-or, do both. Get the yeah. first one. You'll find a way if you want it bad enough, and that's easy to say, but we can talk about that through the course of this, to get the second one. But you need to start. You need to get that first, you know, little bit of snow rolling to make that snowball. Um, and, yeah, it, it's it's a simple method just applied with diligence and a little bit of guidance, and it's, it's crazy what it can do for you. I don't know if I can even word this probably. How did you come to that realization? Like you said, like you looked at it like, so there's businesses and if they're successful, they buy the real estate that they're in. Then there's businessmen that just flip real estate themselves. I, I even forget the other. What was the third one there? There was. Uh, well, like you could be one of those, you could be one of those um, specialty professions that, you sure, know. Exactly. Yeah. And they end up investing in real estate. A hundred percent. Like that's why every doctor incorporates and they get a holding company and they get a family trust and all this and it all owns real estate. Right? How did you come to that realization? Like how old were you when you come to that realization? Um, Man. I'm, I'm sure, listen, I'm sure that's a nugget that someone gave me somewhere along the road, right? Like, and, you know, I don't personally invest in the stock market because I'm a big believer in, in um, doing what you know, yeah. right? Um, and so what I know is bricks and mortar. So it was probably around that thought process of, okay, you know, am I taking my money out of these drips and CPP or, you know, all or these um, little, little uh, savings things that I had? Like, well, I don't know that. And what I do know is I know real estate and I see this, Yeah. right? I see this in front of me. It's it's so tangible, but it's also the human element of, of it is tangible. Like I see people having success doing X, Y, Z. When people are doing this great crypto stuff and this market <laughs> stuff, you know, I know they're doing it, but I can't see it. Yeah. And, um, you Dogecoin. know, I, I just believe in leaning into something, right? Yeah. You know, 
like this idea of a balanced lifestyle is, is horseshit. And we can talk about that another, like, <laughs> you know, you, you do a great job of, of doing many different things, yeah. but it's under an umbrella. And when you do something, you do it with a hundred percent, you know, you're not like 15% here and there. You've yeah. got to kind of commit to something. Um, but I just kind of noticed that. And again, it was probably in talking with some people and then trying to wrap my head around, um, taking money that I had in the market at the time and doing something else. And that's not to say, you know, now when I have more cash, like I'm, may diversify a bit, but, yeah. um, yeah, man, it, it, it bricks and mortar, man. It's, it's pretty hard to beat. And I don't disagree. And I, the re- I just ask, cause I'm kind of curious to see what brought you to that point. Like, I think everyone's kind of come to a different point on why they're buying real estate. And I say it for myself, cause like for me, the way I kind of had the moment of like realization is I came out of the engineering and I literally took the Forbes 500 and I wrote down, well, they already have it written down. And I looked at what each and every single person did. Yeah. And I count, counted up. I said, what is the most common thing? Because it'll just say, like, whatever, Warren Buffett, $100 trillion investing. And then the next guy, da 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 $10 billion real estate. And they have all them listed out. I looked at what was the most common thing on that list. I, I came into it with no prejudice. I was like, I'm going to do whatever the number one thing on this is. Real estate was the number one thing on the yeah. Forbes 500 list. The most common term was real estate. And, man, if, if you went back a hundred years, it would be the exact same, yeah. right? There were people in there. It's like, mm, silk, what's this guy doing here with silk? Like he's at number three, <laughs> you know, and then he, he's gone. Yeah. Right. But like the real estate, there will always be people there in real estate. Just like there'll be people on that list that right now might be tech or might be this or something else. Yeah. Um, but the real estate will, will last. Yeah. It, it just, it will like people need a place to live. They're not making any more land, all of these reasons. Um, and as someone who, um, you know, like it's also personally it, it resonates with me because I enjoy it. I like designing places. I like providing, you know, homes and like I, I enjoy that. So, you know, it's just easier to relate to. I think it's more approachable than some of these other um, you know, crypto or or whatever you wanna yeah, otherwise do. It's but. a bit more easy to understand and like you said, it's it's tangible. I'm with you on that very much. So I think I started actually with a little bit of stock trading when I first had a small amount of cash. And that was the thing that I struggled and with. Poker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I struggled with it so hard because it was that thing of like I would study it and I would understand it. I'd understand the business, I'd understand the financials that were given to me. I invest in it. And then if one news article came out that somebody choked on their popcorn on Air Canada's flight, the stock went down twelve percent. Yet their financials would state that they should have an amazing quarter. That was what impacted it. And I was like, wait a second. This, and, there's no fundamental to what's going on here. Oh, man, that's going to get way, way worse. I mean, we're delving into stuff that other people have far more expertise. But, you know, a tweet should not affect the intangible value of a company, <laughs> right? Yeah. And people betting on a company to fail yeah. um, and this, you know, that should not impact, its impact value. the value of a company, yeah. right? This is the challenge with the derivative market and even just companies going public in general is companies used to be valued by like, if we had to liquidate this company today, what would it be worth? Yep. And now that that's not even really related to what the property or Never. the, 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 no the company is worth, right? Um, so again, that gives me some, some trepidation, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that avenue. It's just not, you know, what I've done and, and again, do what you know. And um, yeah. So I guess with all that being said, would you say the objective of this podcast is to one, help people understand and get involved in real estate, get excited. Number two, kind of get excited about real estate. Yeah. I mean, I think if people are listening, um, it's, you know, it's because they're interested in real estate. I think I talk about this when we, we do sales, like we've got the greatest gift ever. We got something that everyone wants to talk about. Yeah. Right. Can you imagine trying to sell like insurance or something like that? Like, (laughs) you know, no one wants to talk about that. We walk into a room and people want to talk real estate. Yeah. Uh, So that's great from a sales perspective. Um, But so I think people that are coming to this, it's because they're interested in real estate. And you're right. There's a generational thing where, um, you know, you and I are separated by, I don't know, 10 years or so. Yeah. Um, People my age were kind of like, the first people kind of thinking about flipping and these shows were on television and there was this idea or maybe like, you know, renting a second suite. It was an idea, but it was never much beyond your primary residence or maybe a handful. Now it's, you know, people want to do it as a living, not as a side hustle. People want to do it as a living at a scale, you know, unlike anything I've seen, right? You know, you can't turn around without, you know, hitting someone on Instagram that's like, 
I do this. I'm a house flipper. I'm a home designer. I'm a, you know, growing landlord. I'm doing this. Follow me for the, like, everyone's interested in it, which is, is awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, so I guess, you know, the hope would be between you and I, we can give some firsthand currently in the action doing this stuff experience to people. And, and, um, you know, the other thing with talking to people is, is you start to change your outlook. Once you get into real estate and once you start having property and you start hearing things like $50,000, $100,000, $300,000, a million, you know, the way your brain thinks changes yeah. automatically. Yeah. Right. Like I was at a time in my life where I still remember when I got a, my first $20,000 check. Yeah. I don't even know if it was 20000 It might have been 15000 I can't remember. I think I, I sent to do one person, a buddy of mine who was a mortgage broker. Yeah. Right. Like I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Like, it blew my mind. Um, and very fortunate that, you know, my brain has switched to the point where I think in bigger numbers. Yeah. And that's what people who are successful do. And some of it comes by accident. Yeah. Right? Like I didn't mean to start thinking this way, but when you're in it and when you start dealing with this, you, you change your brain. You really change your brain. Um, and I think that would be kind of what some people could hopefully get from this is they start thinking in larger ways. Yeah. Okay. What about you, Neil? What do you think's the big end game of this? This big beautiful this, thing. This beautiful thing. I, I'm on the same. I'm on the same page. I think it's. I think it's trying to make it more tangible for some people to understand and actually get involved in it. I think breaking down kind of that that barrier, like you said, too. Same same idea of making it seem more realistic. Because I think I again I look at me where I just literally started this whole thing, whether it be being a real estate agent or an investor, basically three years ago, and I was kind of flailing. Like I didn't like there was nowhere to really turn. That I found. I mean, the podcasts were just kind of getting started. There were some people doing the stuff on YouTube, but I even struggled sometimes, like listening to it. I found I wasn't getting what I was looking for a lot of the time, um, and so I kind of hope that between you and I, we can actually provide a bit more value. Like I, I found a lot of them kind of led on. When I started, a lot of times it was that paid course. Oh God, yeah. And yeah. it was always like I'd get to there, and then they'd be like, for two ninety nine, usually nine ninety nine, but for today and you only, mm-hmm. two ninety nine, you sign up and we'll tell you how to do it all. And I'm like. Uh, like, I don't know. Or they're like, here's this thing I did in Las Vegas, buying up row townhouses, <laughs> you know, for $40,000 a piece at a public auction. Yeah. And it's like, that has nothing to do with what I'm doing here, like at yeah. all. And and maybe to someone in Las Vegas, that was very helpful information to have in that moment. <laughs> um, but that is also a micro opportunity, um, whereas, and this is the beauty of, of the burn and whatnot. It's like, that is a replicable process no matter yeah. where you are. Um, so I think you're right. I, I think there is a gap in there um, between here's people saying like, this is specifically what I had success doing. And if that doesn't apply, you know, you know, I, I'll have someone reach out and be like, oh, let's put a, you know, an escalator clause in the deal. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Well, that's not allowed in Nova Scotia. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, so, you know, s- someone picked that up from yeah. a podcast in another market and it just flat out doesn't apply here. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and financing nuances and, and all of these things that they sound great. And if it's content coming out of the U.S., you know, short sales or what have you. Yeah. Again, it's not a thing. Yeah. Right. Um, so giving people real actual things that, that work and is, um, you know, again, everyone's going to have their own different approach to it. You have to find what your competitive advantage is. Like that's something we can speak about at length and, and figure out what exactly that means and what it can mean for individual people. Yeah. Um, that's a bit further into it, I think. Once you yeah. get, once you even make the jump into understanding what you're going to do, and getting the basics down, you got to get the basic package down, and then you can start to understand where you're going to go with your competitive advantage at that point. Yeah. But yeah, so I so yeah. Overall, I think the the idea is to make it a bit more consumable, probably a little bit more to this market in general. Um, and yeah, again, a bit less about us because I find a lot of it is typically people being like, I just yeah. bought a hundred unit, and I made twelve million dollars, and I'm like, I don't give a shit. Oh man, I love when they th- throw up that check and like, look at this check I just got for a hundred thousand dollars. I'm like, man, you got that by charging all these people nine ninety nine to to watch this video. That's not from you did something with this house, but anyway. Yeah. So that uh, yeah, that's the objective there for me. Uh, before we could, we're probably getting pretty close to the end, but. Uh, what's your objective as a person in this business? Are you looking to have a thousand units? Do you want to have the tallest building in the city? Are you looking, what are you looking Man. to be? I mean, this is a very timely question because I've, I've been struggling with this a little bit 
um, now that I have a family and now that my kids are getting to a certain age. I, I don't quite know. I'm, I'm working through that. Maybe that's, I'll work through that with this podcast. I, yeah. I know that I want to um, leave my city better than it was before. And like, you know, and that sounds like a very Chandler grand Tower. statement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I do want to leave my little pocket of the, the world better. And I think housing is an important way to do that. And shaping a city is an important way of doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to build something business-wise for my kids and my kids' kids. Yeah. I don't know that I've necessarily thought about it too much beyond that. Um, and I need to take a step back high level and, and kind of figure out what I want to do. Um, but that's sort of where I'm at a little bit. Interesting. What about you? Just Mayor Spryfield? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, no, I'm, 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 to be honest, I'm probably still looking for as well. But I think for me, like one of the things I was growing up, uh, I always used to walk by the big buildings and I just thought it was the coolest thing ever, right? I'd look up and yeah. like, that is crazy. And like, I forget where I met the first person, but it would have been one of the developers that was in charge of the whole site. And the concept of that being like, that guy there technically owns that big building yeah. was just so like euphoric and like sexy to me mm-hmm. that I was like, I need to know what it feels like to be that guy. I had a guy who said the most excited he got was the first time he owned an elevator. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. That, that, yeah. But like, you know. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. Right? And, and he took his yeah. kids there and they went up and down the elevator. <laughs> I know that sounds ridiculous, but it was kind of beautiful to me at the same time because that's also the difference between having a four-story walk-up. Yeah. Right. Which is pretty commonplace or even, yeah. you know, t- to having an elevator. Yeah. That means you've kind of graduated <laughs> to that next level. <laughs> uh, I like yeah. it though. I yeah, like it. I think it's, it's it's very symbolic. But you know, that guy actually had an objective, which is good because when you achieve that, you do have that moment of like it almost brings you back to where you were when you originally decided that you wanted it. Um, and so I think that's where I'm at. And I'm uh, I think it was like all of these things I've kind of fantasized about along the way. And I'm just starting to have my moments now where like uh, like when I pull down the street and I own pretty much half that street, it's kind of nice. I'm like, you know what? This is kind of neat. Like there's a row of buildings here that I can say all of these are mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and same thing, even like when I got my three story, like I was like, okay, like this is a serious, like there's, there's hallways here that I look down they're all units and they're all that that's, so yeah, I I don't know if I necessarily have a specific set one, but I know one of them is I want to have like a big shiny glass building. (laughs) It doesn't have to be a hundred percent glass, but in, in some format where it's like, okay, that's a real apartment building. Um, and I think that'll be a big moment for me to be, to be able to stand up there. Probably once concrete is poured to go up top and stand up there and just be like, holy crap, like this is real. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's one thing that I really want to achieve with it. Yeah. Far. And you know what? I think, again, that's people listen to this. They start thinking maybe a little bit bigger because, again, it wasn't that long ago. I was sitting in this side-by-side set of flats looking at the house I wish I lived in, you yeah. know. You were aerating lawns door to door. And not like this <laughs> is some like big dramatic story, yeah, you know, yeah. whatever. But it just goes to show it's not rocket science. Yeah. Right. It's a simple idea applied effectively. Right. Doing the right things over and over again. Yeah, exactly. Know? Yeah. And it doubled down. That, like I grew up like ultra middle class. Like I by no means was like scraping by or any of that. I, I've yeah. been comfortable for a, the whole time of it. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Now, same deal. My parents, I was born in a set of flats on Vernon Street. That my parents bought only because, like, they needed the rental income. Yeah. And, you know, before I was one, they had sold it to move a little bit more out into the subdivision. And, you know, in a beautiful area, and it worked out well. But people always have, like, oh, you know, your parents in real estate because people are petty and wondering how you're doing what you're doing. Um, But I joked, like, no, my parents kind of made one real estate investment (laughs) decision. It was the wrong one. But, you know, um, because if they'd kept that set of flats, their life would be exponentially different than it was, you know. But, um they're fantastic and they've been super supportive through all this too, which is great. Um, but yeah, I kind of learned it all through my peers and stuff. So hopefully we can be that for someone else. Yeah, definitely. Two things I want to go over next episode. We have on here just like the first, basically three steps of getting into real estate investing. Cool. Don't sure if that's what you want to do. Sure. Okay. Um, and then you want to leave an end question for people to, to kind of think about and stir about. Oh man. I would ask them that question. Like if, an opportunity across their desk right now that, you know, could change their lives. Would they have the money to capitalize on it? If a disaster hit them, but they had a month to get out of the disaster, would they have the financial security to get out of it? If the answers are no, it's like, okay, you, you got to do, do something. Change. You got to do something. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have to be today. You know, you can accomplish a lot 
um, in, in a short period of time. Like everyone's going to start at different levels, but you have to start thinking about it, right? Like you, you got to you gotta get it rolling somehow yeah. um, because it's amazing what you can do inside of 12 months. But if people can't answer that question to the affirmative right now, um, they need to make some, some steps. If people can answer that uh, to the affirmative, it's great. It sounds like they're on their way. Uh, it's just time to scale up and we'll talk about that too. Yeah, and maybe if people were to answer kind of why they think they can't, that would be nice and we totally. can kind of dissect that a little bit. Yeah. So. 100%. All right, with that, we'll call it the first ever episode. Nice work. Good work, everyone. Oh, oh first <laughs> DJ Man, yeah, Tanner. Yeah, sitting on that the whole time. He's been sitting on bombs on that thing back there. Oh, I gotta go. Yeah, all right, get all your right, calls in. Later. Good. <laughs>